Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen O'Sullivan and I am the host of this show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders and experts in the field of leadership of self and others, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past potential fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. We want you to be you, to be at your best and to show up in the most authentic way. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello, hello, dear listeners. Welcome to today's show. And today is an episode not to be missed. I should actually say that about every episode. Um, today I'm talking to straight-talking Yorkshire woman, uh, Sally Henderson, and it is a fabulous uh, conversation, and you will get a feel for her style pretty much right away. She creates high-performance senior teams and leaders that truly excel within the world's biggest brands and world-class creative agencies. And she is, as so many of us are, a serial entrepreneur. She's faced challenging leadership decisions, felt the fear, and done it anyway. One of those challenging leadership decisions she shares with us here today as well. And she founded her global leadership mentoring practice in 2011 on the fundamental belief that teams and leaders shouldn't have to choose between being effective or being happy at work. And in addition to her proprietary leadership development program, the real method that we are going to be delving in fully, Sally offers brave, bespoke leadership mentoring so her clients achieve their leadership and career ambition, especially when the stakes are high. That's why she's also called the high stake coach and mentor. And that's something that's really important to Sally, that she isn't only, quote unquote, a coach, She's mentoring, and we are actually talking about the impact of mentoring on executives and how mentoring helps them excel fully. We are talking about straight talking and direct communication, not beating around the bush and why it is so important. But we are, as I mentioned already, delving into the real method more deeply. And she's highly generous about sharing some of her tools and exercises very openly here with us. We learn more about her background, her challenges and learnings from the past as well, and why bringing your whole self to work might not always be the best idea. Love a bit of a controversial conversation. So why don't we pop to the other side and have a listen to Sally. Enjoy today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to the wonderful Sally Henderson. Hi, how are you? Hey, Kathy, I am great and so happy to be here and really looking forward to our conversation. Ah, me too. You know, I mean, the, the listeners know by now that I have pre-chats with every guest and therefore we have a chance to get to know one another. And those pre-chats make me often so excited, like, you know, a little girl running around a Christmas tree, <laughs> a Christmas tree waiting for the gifts to unwrap themselves. And I have to say, I have this very specific excited feeling with you today so many topics I'm passionate about so amazing I can't wait 
Sally, and I will be delving right into it because I know you work with C-suite leaders. You are a straight talker, and I'm pretty sure our listeners will notice that quite a bit here today. And the first question that came to my mind when thinking about this conversation today was, how much can leaders be leaders in this time and age? Wow, I love a big question to kick off with. Mm. Oh, look, I think it's down to what, what, how long's a piece of string? It's down to appetite, it's down to beliefs and passion. I think, though, I always say recently to clients, we've, we've got to be careful because the world is a very difficult place and it has been for many years. And I think the, the conditions upon which we're expecting our leaders to thrive have been relentless. The word unprecedented is now the most precedented word ever, I think. And so I think leadership has not necessarily changed in any shape or form. It's the world around it. And I think, but I think I still stand by it. If you believe in something, if you're passionate, if it's meaningful and you want to back yourself, that's leadership. And I would add to it, if you want to have a positive impact on people around you. Yeah. There's a massive challenge currently because the pressure has seemingly increased as well uh, to deliver, to lead larger groups of people, loads of reorganizations in some of the organizations I work with. And therefore, your range of responsibility has increased widely. And yet you are still asked to deliver upon all of these great targets yeah. And be there 24-7 for your team members. And I know I'm exaggerating ever so slightly. What's your view on the situation when working in particular with, with your clients? And what are their struggles in particular that you hear about? I think burnout, a really human piece around just energy and resilience. I think it's interesting to watch trends, Kathleen, where vulnerability was a big trend coming mm. in. Well, it was resilience, then vulnerability. And now I think it's kind of going back to resilience again, because it's a fine line between resilience and vulnerability. And I've been chatting about this recently with clients saying, look, I'm a great believer of actually not bringing your whole self to work. And there's a beauty in difference. And why are we forgetting that or admitting it? Because if you are the same person at all times to all people, isn't that a bit strange? And isn't that a bit overwhelming? And so I think there's a time in leadership to be vulnerable. And there's a time to be resilient. And right now, with the burnout that people are feeling, it's knowing which way to go for you and which is the best way to go for your team. Because if people are relentlessly vulnerable, that is a good thing in terms of openness and candidness and sharing and and reality. And I'm not saying don't do it. But I think in the current climate where the pressure is on and it's, it's not a global pandemic anymore, it's not an all kind of encompassing kind of leveler it's financial it's economic it's different and it's difficult it's competitive that can drive very difficult behavior in organizations across all levels so if someone is also therefore still in the right mode that was appropriate for covid and vulnerability and sharing and leveling people are going to go hang on a minute can i can i follow you you know if you're not got if you've not got the strength as a leader if you're not confident about your decisions how can i be because a leader cannot be a leader as you rightly said earlier about without having impact on others yeah without having followers so burnout is something i think we can't ignore because the pressure as you alluded to just a second ago that people especially leaders have been through relentlessly in the last four years has not stopped for a second it's only intensified from one major world challenge and catastrophe to another. And and that's 
that's stressful. That's difficult. So the macro is difficult. The micro is difficult. So I think that sheer human toll on, if you think about the marathon runner, you know, it's not a race, it's a marathon, but Mm. bloody hell, it's probably about (laughs) a marathon by now. So I think a big theme that I'm seeing is always the end of the year is a high, high pressure time for leaders, for teams. But every year in the sort of last four years, what I've been noticing is that pressure seems to hit earlier and harder for longer. And then we're all living under this very interesting belief that Christmas is a holiday season for recharging and rejuvenating. And it really isn't, isn't it? You couldn't pick a worse holiday season to put at the end of the year, let's be honest. Yes. (laughs) When you get no downtime, there's massive personal pressure to have that perfect Christmas, however you define it. You've got all those relationships going on outside of work that need incredible stakeholder management around the Christmas table sometimes. And you come back and you're knackered. So I think, yeah, the thing that I would be counselling for anyone listening to this, be they a leader or be they a team, their own business or, you know, work with someone else, how's your energy? How's the energy of your people? What are you doing to safeguard it? And how are you going to give yourself a break to come back for next year in whatever shape that presents? Yeah. And not just a break for Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever celebration you are going to experience. I remember I had my annual breakdown always around Christmas. Mm -hmm. And by breakdown, I don't necessarily mean, well, partially perhaps a mental breakdown as well, but I always had the flu. I was always knocked down, uh, knocked out. My body literally collapsed. Yeah, because it's stress. I mean, we carry, the, the the calendar year is an interesting concept, isn't it? Because it's in different races, creeds, religions have different calendar years. Yeah, And it's all subjective, but you put yourself under this major pressure that you get to the end of the year, you, you, you go and go and go. And then you have, if you're lucky, two weeks off. And for some people, it's only two days. Mm. And then suddenly by a miracle, oh, it's January, let's go again. Yeah. And it's, well, nothing's actually changed. Mindset has. And I think that's a great thing in leadership to be discussing. Like mindset is everything. But at the moment, I think there's a really strong physical reality in the world that people are tired. And how do we cope with that? How do we care for that? Whilst also being honest about the reality of what it takes to do great business out there right now. Well, let's talk about that in a moment. But you also mentioned check in with your energy level, see what your energy is like, what the energy of your teams is like. That requires you at least to take a moment to pause Mm. and to give yourself the space to do that. Right? I think that's the space you offer for your clients in particular. Uh, I wonder how you go on your walks and talks with some of your great leaders and help them get to that point where they can think and breathe and be for a moment and what shifts you recognize in them when you do it's a great question and if only there's one lovely magic bullet answer i could give her <laughs> yeah oh here it is coming in um i think it's about prioritizing oneself which i'm a great advocate that leaders should eat first not last actually mm. i just think that's just a trendy fashionable thing leaders eat last mm. rubbish you know, if you're not, it's quite Simon Zinnick, here. Yeah, sorry, Simon, but that's. I think the intention behind it is well placed, but that phrase in itself is so mis misaligning because if you're not on your A game, how can you help anyone else be that? And so, leadership is if it depends on different modes and methods, but you know, the whole servant leadership principle is that you're there to help others, raise others up. But who the hell's raising you up? <laughs> who the hell's yeah. up to? 
And so I think to achieve that, you cannot, it is impossible to do it on your own, especially in a high pressure senior job, because your, your run rate is at a trillion miles an hour and you're not the expert in yourself and nor should you be. So when I work with my clients, I'm the expert in them, able to help them have the permission to switch off, to give them space, to work out what's in service of them, be it challenge, support, coaching, mentoring, listening, advising, you know, a whole plethora across the lot. But what really winds me up is I can't do it for myself. (laughs) It's incredibly frustrating, Kathleen. I can do it brilliantly for any client who wants me to. And I love it. And it fuels me and it gives me incredible satisfaction and energy. But oh, my God, if I even attempt to apply the same principles, knowledge, intelligence, strategies, techniques on me, nah, not a chance. Because I I have my blind spots. I have my subjectivity. I have my own emotions. I have my own uh, belief systems, be they correct or incorrect. So I have people that help me to equally have that space and time to be held because I think in our roles, when we hold other people all the time, it's incredibly demanding. And therefore, I walk the walk of saying, look, I tell my clients, make sure you've got the right experts around you, make sure you're getting time for self-care, for switching off. And I need that too. So I think it's not a magic bullet, but there are magic people. And everybody out there in a senior leadership role, I, my challenge and ask of you is who are your magic people? And that's both in the workplace and outside. And I, I love the term magic people. And I love that you are so open about, you know, I have these magic people around us, but I'm also curious about your experience with it because I really struggle to accept the help or even seek the help of those magic people because I have literally been training myself to do it all on my own and to manage and I'm the strong one and I'm indeed eating last. Not that I look <laughs> like it, but it was my my motto, that's for sure. And then to seek help and to sit with those magic people and accept their utter support, I found very hard and to some extent still do find hard. Yeah. So what's been to... your journey there? I'm right with you because let's be honest, we all have ego too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're the experts in this, in our own fields, and that's our role. And that's what we, how we define ourselves. And that's our purpose in the world, albeit different. And that's a joy as well. But for me, it came down to don't be a hypocrite. (laughs) Don't be a goddamn hypocrite. And here am I advising the most successful senior, incredible leaders who bravely welcome me in to their worlds and trust that the advice and wisdom and practical emotional guidance that I'm offering them works and it does or I wouldn't be doing the job I do but they have to trust me and let me in so I also think it's only in better service of my clients so here's the thing if you can't do it for yourself do it for your clients because how are you gonna how is one gonna be on one's a game if we're not walking the walk that we expect our clients to and when you walk the walk with your clients, and I'm, I don't mean the literal walks that you do, by the way, in a fantastic red leopard print dress, I'm never <laughs> going walking like that. Never. <laughs> so she she combines fashion and support of us. <laughs> but when you do that, what's happening there? What is that shift that I was alluding to early yeah. on as well? Do you know what? I think often it's just relief. You know, relief to be seen uh, as the whole self, relief that they don't have to cope on their own and receiving 
guidance. So I'm a mentor, not a coach, as I say all the time, because I am directive. I like to give advice and that's what my clients want. So what my clients don't want to go on for me specifically, and it's not right for everybody, mm-hmm. is to go on that journey of self-discovery, which for some people is wholly right. If it is, don't come to me because I'll be getting too frustrated. I'll be wanting to jump in with some direction and thoughts. But for my clients, when I say, look, I am a mentor, a high stakes leadership mentor over a coach. And I do use a lot of coaching, but my primary muscle is that mentoring piece. They're like, thank God for that. Or yeah. sometimes with stronger language than that. <laughs> because they they're that shift, that 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 change they're getting is by having the mental sparring with me, having a partner, mm. having someone going, have you thought about that? Mm. What about this? And not having to come up with that by themselves because leadership is a lonely place. Let's not forget that. It's a cliche, but it's true. And when you're constantly being looked at for all the answers, all the support, all the guidance, all the strategy, all the resilience, all the vulnerability, you know, all mixed up in that inside and outside of work, knowing that someone is doing that for you, that I think puts, it's, it's, a, it's a really boring, not very environmentally friendly analogy I'm about to use, but it's like going into the service station and filling up the tank. Mm. It's saying, oh, thank God, I can just sit here and someone can fill up my tank yeah. for and with me. Uh, and I think it's that moment of giving them the unique combination of advice, guidance, support, holding, seeing, and caring for them that fills up their tank. Mm. And that's what we all need. And I know, I mean, being a coach and mentor myself, I, I've often been told, well, you can't mentor too much. You need to believe in the people that they have their own resourcefulness. And that's that's how we are being trained as coaches, right? And I do believe people have their resources inside of them and they have a lot of inner knowledge, but it sometimes requires this mirror that literally calls stuff out. It says, look, this yeah. is what I'm seeing, seeing and noticing. And then to help them accelerate their process or progress a little bit. Because just coaching from my perspective is super helpful and impactful, can take longer. Yes. And my clients are like me and impatient for example. <laughs> <laughs> I want to accelerate and, and go, go, go quicker. Not, not just for sake of speed, but better, mm-hmm. you know, quicker with better. And I think I do have a bugbear with the coaching industry, actually. Uh, and I went on a training course. I won't name the names, but I went on this one training course years ago And I actually thought it was quite scandalous because they were taking people who had no experience of coaching on a nice three-day weekend course, whether it be one or over a a, a series of three weekend courses. And and their underpinning motto was, don't worry, because your client is always something like whole, resilient and resourceful. And it's like, well, how do you know that? You know, how do you know someone is whole, resilient and, and, and resourceful? We're not psycho. I think, again, there's a danger. We're not counsellors. We're not psychologists. You want to be very careful what boxes you're opening up in people if you don't know how to work them through that. And and therefore, with that get out of jail clause, oh, well, my client's whole and resilient. It's, well, maybe maybe they're not that day. (laughs) You know, maybe that isn't the case. And that's why they're seeking out help. So I think there's a danger in the coaching world of over relying on the fact that your client will always have the answer because they won't, quite frankly. They won't because I don't. <laughs> I don't always have the answer. And and sometimes, you know, it's only by getting the expert advice and, and support for the things that I want to work on that I, I create that answer. I co-create the answer. But for me, the passion is around that unique word there. Well, not unique, sorry, but the, the word I pick up on is the co-create. And I think co-creation is, is a very special and powerful thing that you can do more in mentoring 
Well, it's a different style. And get, don't get me wrong, although I say that about the coaching industry, I'm a huge fan and advocate of it because everyone's different and therefore the more that's out there that meets people's unique needs, the better. It's just with that caveat of you are responsible as well. You know, you can't abdicate responsibility to the coach because your client is whole. <laughs> you know, it's your responsibility to make sure you take your client on the right journey. You don't leave them opened up in the wrong way. And you always ensure that they have come to a nice conclusion at the end of each session so that they are incrementally growing, not being left overly vulnerable unnecessarily. And what what I keep noticing when not just when I was a leader in organizations, but in everyday life, as you mentioned as well, sometimes I can't see the wood for the trees at all because this world, as you highlighted, is more complicated and information overload. You don't just look after yourself, personal lives, professional lives, and so on and so forth, and sometimes feel like I have no capacity to make even the tiniest decision Mm. when this overwhelm is just huge. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And I think right. I think I'm seeing a shift out there in what clients are looking for in general, that the more directive coach is becoming more popular, mm-hmm. because I think the pace of life and this relentlessness that we've been talking about and the fact that every moment counts in your role as leader, people don't have the luxury so much for the purely facilitated journey, mm-hmm. nor the resources to go there. They mm-hmm. need and want greater intervention, greater partnering. But I think it comes down to do what's right for you, you know, and it's great that I'm not right for everybody because I'd be too vanilla if so. (laughs) You know, I think embrace your difference, know who you serve, know your value, know your limits and just show up in the best way you can and serve your clients in the best way you can. And then the match should work. Uh, I want to come back to one of the points you made a little bit earlier on. Don't bring your whole self to Mm. work, basically, in combination with servant leadership. I'm not a fan of servant leadership. I spoke about that quite often here on the podcast as well. I think, especially for people pleasers, it's very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it leads you in a direction where your boundaries get, get muddled up and you don't recharge your batteries. Let it be at a petrol station or anywhere else. Right? <laughs> it brings danger. <laughs> and I think bringing your whole self to work is something that I hear on all the time basically at the moment there's an element of it that I actually like because we are no machines who switch off their personalities when we enter the office right but there's another part where I say when is enough enough and who should I be to Mm. make sure everybody around me is in a happy place Mm. which which is an illusion from my perspective anyway and I think it's very very hard to kind of make sense of this concept bring your whole self to work where are the boundaries here? Well, I think it's like anything, you know, things come and go in cycles and they tend to, you know, spin around. And sometimes I think what we're seeing in the world at the moment is a horrific kind of want for black and white. Yeah. Right, right nor wrong. You know, there's no tolerance in the middle, it seems. You can't have a healthy debate. It's very extremism in many, many shapes and forms mm-hmm. around. You have to look on Twitter slash X and you just go, gosh, where's the art of debate gone? You know, uh, and this whole self to work, I think it obviously like many things came with good intentions, but it's become over, oversubscribed, uh, oversimplified and become a bit of a fashion statement and a mantra in a moment in time where people were wanting, wanting to break some very 
well, very helpfully break some stereotypes about the masking and the alphas and the shoulder pads mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But I think like anything, things evolve and change. And for me, when I say don't bring your whole self to work, and I've had some good debates on podcasts about this, it, people instantly in that kind of black and white, yet yin and yang reaction go, oh, well, you know, you're not being authentic. And I'm like, I've not said that. <laughs> I've not said be inauthentic at work. It's funny how people jump to conclusions yeah. around certain statements as being binary. You know, well, if you if you mean don't bring your whole self to it, that means you put a mask on. Mm. I've not said that. So again, I think the art of listening to language and wanting to get behind the words is something that we're too impatient for now in the world. We're like, right, I've heard you, I've made a decision, and I'm going to either agree or disagree. Mm. And then you'll be in that camp, and I'll be in that camp, and that's that. Yeah. But it's more, it's much more complex than that, and it and rightly so. But when I say don't bring your whole self to work, what I mean is that, oh, well, I have a saying, two sayings, actually, that I use a lot. I said, to me, it's a terribly sad day if you're exactly the same at work, no matter how well you know your colleague, you're exactly the same at work with your colleagues as you are with your closest friends and family. That's a tragic day in my life. If, if that's how people are being, where is the beauty of difference? Mm. You know, And also, I have another saying that let's not call companies families because they're not. They're just not. Because a family, hopefully, depending on how families show up these days. Yes, indeed. But a family is never going to fire you based on a spreadsheet. Hmm. Uh-huh. But a company will. And rightly so. Like if a company can't sustain itself, then it's going to have to make very difficult decisions, which can be emotionally as painful as they like. But if there's not enough money in the balance sheet, that is going to dictate decisions. And, and that's okay. Because businesses are businesses and families are families. But again, I'm not being black and white. I'm not saying you can't have amazingly rich, meaningful relationship, relationships at work. But I was talking about tribes and norms on a podcast recently. And I was saying, look, when you're in different tribes, you're in different norms and deviance. And I use the example of a nudist colony because uh, I studied that at A-level. And there was a certain sociology experiment around what was what was deviant and what was norm in a nudist colony versus normal society. Mm-hmm. I say normal, I don't mean normal, I mean just when you're wearing your clothes. And so if you wear shades in a nudist colony, that's highly deviant, potentially, yeah, because you can't see where someone's eyes going, especially if you're a young male. Yeah, yeah back I realised that. Ah, well, but this is going back a long way in this report, so lots of stereotypes. But if you sit in a certain way or you behave in a certain way in a nudist colony when you have got no clothes on, obviously, that's a very different norms and deviance and tribal um, kind of signing up to behavior than if you sat in the park on a normal day with your clothes on. Now, it's same scenario, just incredibly different. <laughs> you know, nudist colony at a park versus clothed people at a park. You'll find their behavior will be same, same, but different, as they mm-hmm. say in Thailand. And why is that a bad thing? Like, why aren't we celebrating the fact that they are the same, but different? Mm-hmm. And so if I'm with my friends and my family, then I am a different part of myself. I'm a daughter. I'm a school friend. You know, I might be a wife or a mother, a sister. That is a different relationship than a C-suite leader or a high stakes leadership mentor or a coach. Yeah. And, and, and I think the more we acknowledge and embrace that, the richer our lives can be because we can then cherry pick. So I have a system called PIPI from The Real Method, my own program, where you visually create a representation of who are you outside of work. Yeah, what make, what makes your identity and everything not to do with work? And then you do the same for what makes you a professional identity. So everything about you, when you're in work, how are you showing up? Your value, what you do, who you hang out with, what you're proud of, what your purpose is. 
And the beauty about having these two separate columns is that they're not literally separate, <laughs> but you can then cherry pick how you want those to interact with each other, but also when they can stand down. So if I'm working with a client who I'm a parent, I've got two children, two boys, but if I'm working of a certain age and I'm working with a client who has no children, for example, that's not relevant to them to hear about my children. But if I'm wanting to bond and connect with a client who does have kids, but even if their kids are babies and mine are teenagers now, again, similar but different. So it just helps you work out how to have connection, but also which parts of your identity can have a sleep. And yes. so when I'm at work, the mum in me, the mum of, of 11-year-old and a 12-year-old is not fully on. Whereas when I'm at home and I'm trying to give me a CEO any day to a 14-year-old around boundaries on tech, but when I'm talking to my son, I'm his mum. So I'm using a whole different range of beliefs, skills, um, habits that I've learned, uh, language that I'm communicating in, body language. Again, imagine I go to work and I hug someone like I hug my child mm -hmm. or my husband. Now, I'm a hugger, so I will hug you if I see you in real life, as long as you're okay with that. But I love a hug, but I'm not going to hug you in the same way I hug my child or my son. Yeah. Sorry, my husband, because it's the same but different. So when I say don't bring your whole self to work, I'm saying, look, celebrate the fact that you have a whole range of identity you can draw on at any time. And it's totally okay for some of that identity to be asleep on certain parts of the day. Because otherwise you've got all your system. Imagine, imagine the battery. You know, we look, we use our smartphones. Just Biggest bug for that. The battery doesn't bloody last, does it? Because you've often got all your different systems and programs open. Mm. But it's the same as a human and a leader. If all your systems and programs are on always, just in case you need them, that's exhausting. So I'm advocating having greater control over which systems and programs you have on at which times and when you can merge to and when you can keep them separate. And that's a joyful thing, not a scary or fake or inauthentic thing. Yes, it, it is. And I was actually just thinking about the battery analogy here, because especially now in these times where um, work and personal life gets muddled up a little bit because we work perhaps in a hybrid manner or just mm -hmm. from home. Uh, it's hard to have the separation. I find it hard as a mom of a toddler, um, you know, to really switch off in between. But I'm very aware I need that to recharge my batteries. I can't be a mom 24-7. Others love it. I No, I can't. I need this professional me, this friends me, and to be focused on those sides. And yet what I'm experiencing in certain parts of my life is the sense of judgment mm. that you always need to prioritize one, i.e. in this case, but you are a mom. Isn't that a bit selfish that you now go to, I don't know, London City for the night out and have fun with this and this? Or I went to a retreat last year, actually coaches and mentoring retreat oh, in, Bas in Barcelona. And I was told, well, you weren't on a holiday without kid, without family. And I'm like, hey, it was no holiday. B, even if. <laughs> it's also a part of me that needs nourishing. Speaking about burnout that you mentioned right yeah. in the beginning, it's so important. And yet there's so much or seems to be so much judgment around those different identities and embracing them. Yeah, because I also think there's a lot of fear out there in the world. And it's a lot easier to judge someone than to try and understand them often, isn't it? Yeah. It takes a lot less energy to make a quick judgment call. But also, I have another saying. I'm, I'm a queen of sayings and cliches. Mm -hmm. But I often say to my clients, we forget all the time we are simply animalistic beings like we are. We're part of a species, you know, evolution is meant to be going in our favor, but you look at the world, I'm not so sure. We're meant to be evolving as a species. But at the end of the day, we're born with instinct and gut, which is fight or flight. 
So it's programmed into our DNA to be incredibly judgmental about situations for our own survival. Mm. Yet now as senior leaders and in this world of understanding and compromise, which I'm saying, I'm not saying I'm saying that's a great thing. We're then somehow miraculously automatically meant to know how to suspend judgment because actually it's not fight or flight. You're not going to get, you know, into trouble if you just lean into that conversation and get more curious about it. So there's a whole kind of underpinning, I think, that we forget around our DNA and where we come from and the fact that we are animals, (laughs) mammals, and we're tribal and, you know, we... We're not meant to be individuals. We're meant to, I think, le- live in societies, most of us. And so how does that work? And and it's it's evolving all the time because of tech. But, you know, we, we're expecting people to learn, as learn, build the plane and fly the plane in terms of, well, how does this change in terms of some of our primeval programming versus showing up as a good human and a good leader? Because they're not they're not aligned. <laughs> they are not. And, and also what is important is that we kind of have confidence in ourselves. And in this identity, so I love the exercise that you've highlighted. I assume it's personal identity, professional identity, yeah. PIPI, right? PIPI, yeah. And and I love that exercise. It requires us also then to see it, to acknowledge it, to embrace it. Oh, my God, because often what's interesting, people will tend to go quickly or easier to one or the other. They'll either be really clear who they are professionally, but less personally, mm-hmm. or clearer personally, but less as a professional. And I take this to another level when I do it purely around leadership as well, leadership vision boarding, making your leadership tangible and real through creating it through the lens of a vision board and then playing with timelines and all great fun like that. But often we haven't ever been asked the question, like, who are you outside of work beyond the cliches? You know, well, no, but who are you really? Like, who are you? It's a bit profound, I know, <laughs> but we're going at such rate and with such an overwhelm of comms and expectations and juggling the worlds inside and outside of work that often the sense of self and even who who you are as a human, like you say, I want to go on a retreat, not because I'm a mum. And actually, I'm doing that for my work because I'm a coach, but maybe you go on a retreat with nothing to do with work, you know, but just for ourselves. And you're not really given much permission, I think, in today's modern way of living to have time purely for yourself, especially if you're in a family construct and, and there's other people around you. But then, yeah, the irony of that is also we live in a terribly lonely place. So I think, again, the world is such a really complex place to grow up in and to be in constantly because on the one hand, it's overwhelm of comms, overwhelm of expectation, blurred boundaries, everyone wanting a piece of you. And you can be doing that beautifully and successfully from the outside looking in, but on the inside, you're lonely as hell because none of it is meaningful or you haven't got connection because quite simply often you've not had the time or space to connect with the self first. So if you don't connect with the self first, from my perspective as a high performance leader and have that clarity of who am I and and how I'm how how am I about who I am, then everything else is harder. I actually spoke with a group of senior leaders last week. Um, we talked about this question, how am I? And how are you? And I know you have spoken about that topic before on podcasts, mm-hmm. but I find it such an intriguing, intriguing talk topic. And a lot of them said, Well, how often are you actually being asked how are you? And a lot of them said, I am not asked that that often because I'm this authority figure and let's get straight to business and people selling themselves to me and so on and so forth. Mm. And it would be nice to hear it. Or it is this moment when it's just, you know, superficial. How are you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And this is the moment that could make us stop right away and check into our energy levels and those of others. Right. So how important is that question? Oh, it's fundamental. 
it's a bit like Pandora's box because if you truly answer it, people might not mm-hmm. want to hear, or you might not want to even hear the results yeah. of that. And I think what's interesting when I work with my clients, Kathleen, and I'm sure you're the same, I say to them, I have no agenda working with you. Like in terms of my career, I'm here to support you. I have an agenda in terms of wanting to do a great job for them, but my bonus isn't tied up in in our relationship. They don't control my career. They're not my boss. You know, they're not a key stakeholder on significant areas of my working world because they're a client. I'm not, you know, I'm not an employee. And whenever I think people are asking the bosses, how are you? Understandably, there's always an agenda at play because the relationships and the power dynamics are different and, and we should rightly welcome and, and celebrate that. It's not, it's not a bad thing. So I think there's very few people who have the privilege that you and I have in the workplace to have the pure neutrality, objectivity and lack of agenda to truly ask that question and have the right skill set, space and focus and bandwidth to also work with the answer. And again, doesn't that mean you want to be in a good place yourself, leading yourself first? A hundred percent, because I say to my clients, and I've got um, the different techniques, I've got a technique called the five word reveal, which is all about fast um, emotional insight and how to gain it and come up with a plan, plan of action. But when I teach this to my clients, and I use it on them a lot, I'll say, but just be careful when you use this on other people, because whatever shows up, that's what you work with. So your energy reserves have to be in the right place. If your five word reveal with your key colleague shows that they're not in an emotionally good place and that actually they need some support and, and need some help and, and they're being honest and being vulnerable and opening up to you that you're not like, right, anyway, move on. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. You've got to have the bandwidth and the reserves to take whatever comes back from a five word reveal and workshop it through to a positive outcome. And sometimes people don't have that reserve on tap because they're working at capacity or beyond back to our point around burnout but yeah it all starts with knowing who you are what you need how to make sure you're getting it and and what your boundaries are I guess come on now you made me very curious how does the method work (laughs) the five word reveal so for anyone listening let's do it and maybe you want to have a go at it Kathleen if you wish Um, so you do need a pen and paper ideally you're going to write two columns down and I want you to think about a significant moment, something that it is normally through the lens of work for my work, but for people listening, it can be anything, anything that you want to be honest about how you're feeling about a given situation. So just take a moment to get that into your mind's eye, a certain situation where you want to be very honest about how you're feeling about it. Okay. So in my work, it might be how you're feeling about a company restructure, a company merger, a new CEO coming on board. But sometimes interesting with my clients, just like, just how are you feeling in general? <laughs> like, how are you really? It doesn't always have to be around a significant moment of change. So get that in your mind's eye and just start to allow yourself to feel it. Because also at work, we're kind of conditioned not to feel, aren't we? You know, get on with it, be resilient. Again, I know I'm yin and yanging around a lot of what I'm saying, but that's again, okay, because we are complex, beautifully muddled creatures. But just start to notice, how is your body feeling as you're starting to focus on this piece of information of, around how you're truly feeling about a given situation now? And I want you to write in the column A, we're going to have two columns next to each other, A and B. I want you to write in column A, the five emotions that show up in a column for you. So in any order they come out, write vertically the five emotions that you're acknowledging your feeling about a certain situation 
or just simply the question, how are you today? Yeah. So write those five emotions down. And when you've written those five emotions down, and I want you to look at them and ask if you're being honest, because it's very tempting to do PR here. Mm. <laughs> this is not a PR exercise. This is about the naked truth. So you may want to just scrib scribble out a few words and replace them with ones that are more authentic to you. Okay. And it's very important. The language you use is your language, not what you think you should be writing here. And once you've written your list, column A, I want you now to percentage weight each of those emotions. So they all add up to 100%. This is going to help us understand the lens upon which you're seeing your situation through currently. So often with clients, we will have a dominance of negative or positive. Uh, it's very rare that you get all positive or equally all negative. So say I'd written, I'm feeling scared, excited, daunted, driven, and up for it, just as five yeah. random things. If I then weight it that I'm 40% scared and 20% excited, you can see that my dominant lens is one of fear. But if I go, actually, I'm 40% excited and 20% scared, oh, actually, I'm more excited than I thought I was. So just that simple exercise of, I'm mean, not over, we've still got a way to go. <laughs> that simple exercise, just writing down your emotions about how you truly feel about something and percentage weighting it helps you understand the lens upon which you're seeing that experience through, be it positive or negative. All right. Now, what I want you to do on column B is we're going to create a new column and we're going to do what I call a flip. So if you have any negative words in column A, which you may or may not, this is no test, by the way, it's just an exercise to experience, any negative words, so say it's um, anxious as a word, that shows up quite a lot in the world, unsurprisingly at the moment. What's your positive opposite word for the word anxious, if, it, if that was indeed your word? So look at any negative word you've got in column A, and in column B, you're going to write your positive flip. So, for example, you might write, rather than anxious, I feel fruitful. Now, that's not a common opposite word to anxious, but it's your opposite word. So it's about using vocabulary that is unique to you. And then any positive word you take over to column B. You may want to boost it and make it stronger, but you don't flip it to a negative. <laughs> you only flip the negative <laughs> on as positives. <laughs> and then you're going to look, you've got column A, okay, which normally has negatives and positives. And then column B, which is wholly positive around that given subject you're thinking about. And then you're going to ask yourself this question. So if you're going to go forward feeling about that situation, as you've just expressed, what's your choice? And very important here, we remind people they have a choice about how they feel. What's your choice? Do you want to go forward with column A or go forward with column B? Now, I've yet to have a client say column A, mm -hmm. because normally that has got some negatives in it. They go, actually, I would like to go forward with column B. And there's an interesting moment in time. They've actually actively made a decision on how they want to feel about something rather than being reactive and passive about it. So great. And I reinforce that verbally. So you are saying you'd rather have column B. And now we ignore percentages. And I say, right, instinctively wanting to get people into their gut, that DNA piece I talked about, born with our instincts, animalistic, looking at those words, ignoring the percentages, instinctively, which is the first flip that you think you can take that will most easily and most effectively move you from column A to column B? 
So let's say it's anxious to fruitful, just using that as an example. They go, oh, it's that one, anxious to fruitful, brilliant. And then I replay the language. So you want to move from anxious to fruitful. Yes, <laughs> again, get acknowledgement. Then I say to them, great, what three things can you practically do by yourself that will help you move from anxious to fruitful and play back the flip? And they always know, Kathleen, that's the fascinating thing. When I say, what are the three things you can do to move from the negative to the positive, write them down. And they do. And then I say to people, okay, now you've got those three. What are the three things, the how for each of those three? So we're building in kind of scaling models of three. So say it's like, oh, from anxious to fruitful. Well, I'll I'll sleep better. I'll communicate with the person that's worrying me. And I will um, eat better. I'm obviously just being very kind of black and white for the sake yeah. of an example. Okay, so you're going to sleep better, have that difficult conversation and eat better. So what three things can you do to sleep better? What three things will you do to have that difficult conversation? What three things will you do to eat better? And then each of them, of those rather, they can take and, and break down into threes. Because what I find what's really interesting about driving high performance, it's not that people don't know. They don't know the how. They don't have a structure to work through their own subconscious and thoughts to make a plan. So the five word reveal is a very powerful and proven effective way to understand how you're really thinking about a situation and the impact on that. What's your lens? What your alternative reality could be? And then coming up with a plan of action to achieve it. And it's incredibly powerful. And it's simple. Oh, yeah. It's very I love everything simple. that's simple. Well, my whole philosophy is simple, smart, because the world is complicated enough. Yeah, absolutely. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalogue of leadership and professional development programs, unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash inner professional. I've just um, not yet launched, but created another business string with my business partner. And our one of our core slogans is the word is complicated enough. How can we simplify it? And here I'm going to give you a little bit of food for debate. Go. I love the five-word reveal. That was very German. Reveal. Um, <laughs> I think it's very, very simple and immediately made me think. Until you broke it down into three, 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 mm. three. Because then my mind went off into the world of the busy high-stake leaders and I thought their world is complicated enough. And now you're giving me three, 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 three uh -huh. steps to think about. I want to have one and start with that. And you can. <laughs> you know, the reason I work in threes is because I think it slightly tests the brain. Because sometimes the first one you come up with isn't necessarily the most important one to begin with. So three just gives you enough range. Now, if you really want to go to town, you go to five. <laughs> but that's when it does get too complicated. So I do the threes because... People want to have a little check-in with themselves. And one, I believe, isn't scanning enough. And also what I'm really conscious I want to do is leave them with enough to be doing when I'm not with them. So that when we're not live together, they have enough 
structure and strategy and practical action they can take to move something significantly forward. I also say, look, take my work when I'm working with clients, but leave what doesn't work. You know, my work is called The Real Method because it's to work with real world situations. People, when you become a C-suite leader, make assumptions about you all the bloody time. Yeah. A, that you know how you're feeling. B, most commonly that you know what your job is. My work shows me that people in C-suite often don't know how they're feeling. And equally, you might be surprised to learn, don't even really know what their job is. Because no one's ever stopped to ask them, what is your job? And I ask that of every client I work with. I have a whole module in the real method called Stamp, which has a tool called the five R's, which is all about really understanding in a smart, simple way, what's your job as big cheese title of big cheese company X? <laughs> what is that actually as a job? And they look, these these lovely people I have the absolute pleasure and privilege of working with often just look absolutely astounded when I ask that question because it's so bloody simple. But here's the interesting thing. When you get to that level, no one asks you, what is your job? They say to me, I can't remember the last time someone asked me what my job is. And then they do this really fascinating thing. And often I'm asking this on Zoom, as I was global on Zoom, you know, pre the world changing. And they will either look up to construct, to think, oh God, what is it? Or they'll look back to remember. But often when they do that, they can break connection with me. Their body drops and their voice intonation drops and they sound bored because they're not in the moment anymore. They're either creating or recalling. And even more interestingly, they don't even know if it's true <laughs> because it hasn't been stress tested with anyone else that that actually is their job. So we've got all these incredible senior leaders who are operating under the assumption they know exactly what their job is and what it isn't. And we wonder why there's burnout. Yeah, because you haven't got benchmarks, you haven't got boundaries, then you're always, to a certain degree, chasing your tail. Now, the difference is these people are high performers and exceptionally talented, ambitious and driven. So they make it look easy. But my privilege is coming in and going, hang on a minute. <laughs> Let's make this even more efficient for you, easier for you and more enjoyable by some structure, some, some clarity around the basics so that your excellence can go to a new level. I was just wandering off a little bit. I was still staying with you, but so much about active listening, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I was wandering off thinking about all the expectations that are being put at senior leaders to create this amazing vision, to storytell it, to make it so clear for others. And then you come from a position where not much is very clear to you. And to step into this space where you can simplify it again. And I love, by the way, early on when you said we create vision boards, my first judgmental thought was, really, they create vision boards together? And I was trying to picture them, right? But it all makes sense. Let's come back to those different senses that we bring into the mix and really make sense of our own role and way of being again. Yeah. And also yeah. the thing that's interesting about leadership is it's intangible and it's wholly subjective, isn't it? Yeah. You can't go to a shop and buy it and wear it. Yeah, so <laughs> you, true. Know? you can learn skills, you can develop muscles, you can operate from a value system. At the end of the day, though, it remains intangible and subjective and relevant and often relevant in a moment in time. So when I work with my clients and we use the vision boarding techniques, uh, which is sculpt in the real method, leadership vision boarding, it helps to make their leadership tangible. Because I'm a great believer, if you can see it, you can be it. And it, it makes the brain work in a different way because we work with the healthy manipulation of the brain and the fact that the brain can't distinguish between past, present and future. Just let that hit for a moment. The brain cannot distinguish between past, 
present and future. It's a construct, again. So how often have you lamented about something that happened in the past and it's felt as real as if it's happening right now? Uh Uh-huh. Now it's the past, but the brain doesn't know that. The brain is is reacting as if it's the now, because again, it's down to our programming, our survival instincts. How often do you worry about something that may or may not happen in the future? And it distracts you and it consumes you, especially if it's a worry, a significant worry, as much as if it's happening right now. Interestingly, very rarely in senior leadership are we in the present because we're either trying to fix what went wrong before or make sure what's going to happen in the future goes really well. But that's not real. (laughs) So we can use that. And also the brain can't distinguish between fact and fantasy. Yeah, You know, the brain worries about the future and you feel like it's happening right now. It's pure fantasy. Hasn't happened. May never happen. And even if it happens, may not happen as you think it's going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. So we can use this basic understanding about the brain and when i first learned this my my brain literally fuzzed like i couldn't get my head around the concept and that your subconscious therefore isn't always working on your behalf because it's merrily fantasizing a way to keep you safe which keeps you stuck and all that kind of stuff and you're not even conscious of it because of overwhelm and all the rest of it and we can only process so much information consciously at any one time but you can take these elements and make them work on this healthy manipulation as i call it and make it work on your behalf so you can future forecast your leadership, create it through a leadership vision board, and then bring it into the now so you can accelerate that growth. Because your brain doesn't actually know that you haven't gone through the year it's going to take you to be that future leader. It's incredibly exciting, the work I get to do with my clients when we do this, especially as a team. And funny enough, I was working with a, lead- a global leadership team just the other month, and one of them came up to me, well, actually in, in the debrief session afterwards, and said, oh, do you know what's so interesting? Now that I've touched it and I've seen it, I want it even more. And that's wonderful because motivation can only come from within. And so if you help people create the future and to visualize it and make it real, then it becomes more achievable. I'm, I'm a huge fan of vision boarding. Um, it shifts your energy as well. So coming back to the topic around energy. Um, well, may I just say yeah. one thing, Kathleen, actually, I think it's really important. Let's not forget this really important fact. It's bloody fun. <laughs> <laughs> Not for everybody. It's not everyone's (laughs) cup of tea. However, for those who do like to be visual, being creative, being tangible, having some fun in creating something that's really actually meaningful and important, but not through the lens of like strategy or, Mm. you know, what does Harvard say or whoever Mm -hmm. say about leadership today, but have some fun in creating your own future LVB that's unique leadership vision board that's unique to you and, and playing with that concept. That's powerful. And again, I don't know how to make the connection to it, but again, it puts you into the driver's seat. I, you have choices. So I make that a bit clearer with an example. I worked with a um, leader who I didn't ask to create a vision board, but I asked him a few questions around his leadership footprint, basically, in the future. And he didn't necessarily come up with a visual vision board, but he came up with an analogy. He was captain of a private a pirate ship. And he described his crew and where they are heading and all the adventures they would be on. And sometimes, you know, the sea would be rough and all of that. I was just impressed by all the creativity that literally was coming out of him nonstop. And you could see and notice that he became this boy-like leader again with curiosity, with openness, with fun, with laughter. Yeah. And now I'm making the connection to the choices. 
it wasn't a quite challenging situation in terms of, is this the right place for me? Can I be who I am in my all with all of my identities? And he noticed that I can put into action in very different places. But I know creating this is completely in my control. Mm. Whether I do it here or somewhere else is the other question. Yeah. And that was beautiful to see and to observe and to watch and obviously see him grow on this in the space. So, oh, it's, it, it, I mean, I, I think we're so blessed to do the work we do. And, and it's a real, it, I always say it's a pleasure and a privilege because it really bloody is. Yeah. But to see people make their decisions based on what I call the naked truth. So I have a, another saying of mine, which is the naked truth will always conquer. Now, sometimes the naked truth is that a leader has outgrown the organization or vice versa. You know, our role as mentors, coaches, however you want to label us, is, is in my book, absolutely not to manipulate. Yeah. So I'm not going to take a brief from a company to hold someone in their job just for six months longer so they get the M&A to go through if that person is fundamentally miserable and it's not right. So it's a, it's a philosophy I had when I was in my previous career as a headhunter, when I would say one of the good ones, and I mentioned that. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lot of practical experience at the forefront of talent and leadership and business and change. And the naked truth was either someone was going to be right for that job, that culture, those values, um, that that career journey, or they're not. Now, you can help strengthen in and amongst that, but you can't fundamentally change the naked truth. And I would have candidates come to me back in the day when I had my own company in recruitment saying, Sally, why haven't you put me forward to that particular company? I said, well, I could. But as I said to you in our meeting, it's not the right culture for you or it's not senior enough for you as a job or the travel is going to make you unhappy because you've told me what you want from a rhythm from practically how you want your job to work etc all the travel's not enough for you you're going to get bored because you're not going to go and see the world or whatever it might be and I would say so you can go and explore it with somebody else but I will not put you forward because I fundamentally believe it's not right now they have to trust me that I know what I'm talking about and I'm making the right decision but the naked truth and even if I risk losing a fee back then in recruitment you know and sales is a huge muscle in recruitment let's not forget I'm like I can't do it if I don't believe the naked truth is right and it's the same when it comes to leadership and growth and career challenge and culture fit um that one client I worked with right from the get-go although the company was investing but I say this to my clients all the time I say look if you're investing in me I will only work with the naked truth because there's no point having an unhappy leader at the helm of your business and the naked truth was it wasn't right now it's not but I also think gosh we miss a trick in this modern world of work that we don't actively help people to leave gracefully or strategically or with a plan you know often it's if someone isn't right kick them out Or give them enough rope so that they get kicked out or they resign. And then it's chaos and pandemonium, people having to recruit through fear and reaction. And then how's that to set up for leadership? So again, I think, you know, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but in a whole world of work, we're missing a massive evolution around exiting a business. And that, if that's done with grace and dignity and planning, everything is better. It's not the same. I might look at it too simplistically now in a personal relationship. You can either decide to be an ass and just to make life <laughs> completely miserable for everybody involved, or you notice you are in pain. Someone else is likely also going to be in pain. How can you make it as bearable, hopefully easy as possible? Yeah. And move on instead of holding a grudge, instead of, you know, keep suffering and so on and so forth. Let go. Let's also reverse this as well, because the naked truth can also be that you are going to fly. <laughs> you are in the best job ever. You are set for success. Just get out of your own way. 
Because I also think there's been this over-indexing onto the imposter syndrome labelling. And that it's actually grown a multi-billion pound industry out of self-doubt. Whereas why aren't we teaching self-trust? You know, why is it fashionable to have an imposter syndrome and even give it a name <laughs> and take it everywhere with you and go, oh, I can't, you know, I have to overcome my imposter and my imposter get, well, probably to a point, but why don't we change the narrative and focus on your strength? You know, Marcus Buckingham does it brilliantly through all his strength finder work. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, the old way of doing reviews in 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 work was like, well, you're really good at these points, but we're going to spend 70% of your review talking about all the things you're doing wrong. Right. <laughs> or if your child and you know gets 98% in a test and you go, but what about those two percent? Let's focus on that. Very demotivating, very demoralizing. And and what's our programming to make us want to look for all the weaknesses? So I think in leadership, in high performance in the current world that we work in, wow, there's an opportunity to redefine growth. And and it's not to be naive and just discount weaknesses because we all have them. But let's focus rather than, you know understanding your imposter syndrome and overcoming it, which just sounds hard work, master the art of trusting yourself instead. So easily said, isn't it? Ah, it's... well, I have a framework that helps, funnily enough. Of, of course you do. I have a framework and a structure. I have these four questions that are my trust framework, where I start by asking these very, very simple, but very profound questions with a rating system. And I was working with a really senior leader, and this was our kind of doorway into everything the work was not about technical leadership growth or practical skill sets or going to a leadership vision board or working out what their job was. The work with this particular leader and many leaders out there started with this in terms of, or these in terms of questions. So the first question I ask when I'm doing the trust framework check-in is, um, do you like yourself? And you rank yourself between one and 10, but you cannot have seven, Kathleen. Why is that? Because seven's a red herring. Like seven is 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 just um, no one's going to ask me anything more if I'm a seven. I'm very safe if I'm a seven. Whereas if you're a six on liking yourself, oh, that's suddenly much more revealing than a seven. But so is eight. So if you take seven away, what's fascinating, what you will find is people always know if they're a 6.9 or an 8.1. Yeah, they are never a seven. So if you ask yourself, if you start with a fundamental question, do I like myself? That's pretty leveling. Yeah, that is a, that's very fundamental. The second question is, do I rate myself? Yeah, because you can't trust yourself if you don't like yourself and if you don't rate yourself. I'm not talking about arrogance and ego here. Genuinely, do I rate myself? And sometimes people say, well, what, in what context do you mean, Sally? I'm like, that's not for me to say. That's for you to interpret because that's the beauty of the, sim of the simplistic questions. And then the second, the third question is, um, am I looking after myself? And the fourth question, well, you can I sometimes change the order of these, but they're the same questions. The fourth and final question is, am I being kind to myself? And what's been interesting since COVID years, especially in the most recent year, is that leaders tend to be scoring higher on the first two questions around like and rate. Yeah, because a lot of evidence as to how they're performing well, despite the market conditions, but they're scoring really low on kind and looking after. Yeah. So I think if you're going to master the art of trusting yourself, you've got to have good scores in each of those four questions. Like yourself, rate yourself, look after yourself, be kind to yourself. That's the fundamentals of high performance leadership right there. By the way, I was just hit by those questions, not because they came as a surprise, but they go deep. They go to the core right away. Yeah, yeah. There's no hiding, is there? No. 
You know, I'm, I said I'm straight talking. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, that's that's the one point I do want us to talk about. Um, but the other question that popped up for me was, if you were to say or to give yourself a lower score in the first two questions, can you even give yourself a higher score in the other ones and vice versa? You know, isn't there a certain trend? Wouldn't you assume that you look after yourself and you're being kind to yourself if you actually like yourself? You would. However, I think you can be kidding yourself, masking by focusing on fitness, well-being, doing all the technical activities to look after yourself, but not actually doing it through the lens of kindness. So they're interesting scores and they're not scientific. You know, it is subjective. And I was doing this with a group in a lovely company recently. And one of the people there said, oh, but what do you mean? Look after yourself. What do I even, and, and actually they had it more for themselves. What do I even mean by that question? Look, what does it mean to look after me? And it's not just about eating the right foods and getting enough sleep. It's also about enrichment, spiritual enrichment, social engagement, you know, time off to do nothing. I <laughs> literally nothing. That's also looking after myself. So again, we can jump to our understanding that we even know what those questions mean when actually there's a real value in pausing and going but what do I mean by those questions before I even answer them because your lens and your results could be quite interestingly different and again talking about the split between personal and professional identity it would be interesting to run those scores through your different worlds and see what the figures say so you might like yourself at work because you're being an incredible leader you're giving everything your team are loving you they're all going to get their bonus because my god you've bled to get that company where it is but you don't like yourself at home because you never see your kids. Yeah. So there's, again, a, a healthy piece around ba balance and making sure those two worlds are congruent in terms of numbers in a good way, not in a bad way. You know what I'm going to do all evening today, right? <laughs> Go through the real method and do all the exercises that <laughs> you outlined here so far. And there's so much more to it. But you've got to uh, get in touch with Sally yourself to find out about the other components of the real method. However, you just mentioned the word balance. Hmm. What's balance for you? Because balance for me, it, I'm not going to say what balance for me is. However, I think that's an overused term. Yeah. And you know what? In a way, I'm not really motivated by balance. That word is a bit soft and passive for me as a motivator. Um, maybe for me, a more provocative, meaningful world is achievement. So am I achieving rest? Am I achieving because I'm quite results orientated, you might have worked out. <laughs> so achieving balance, that language for me is it's just a bit too passive. Whereas if you said to me, how are you going to achieve X or Y? I'd be like, oh, yes, how will I do that? Because also it's measurable. But I think balance, again, has become a really overused word because not everyone wants it. It's not right for everybody. It's completely also an oxymoron. How on earth can you have balance when your world's completely demanding in different ways? So I think it's more around how do you want to live your life? Like, how do you want to achieve what's important to you in your life, both professionally and personally? And how do those work together? And where are your boundaries to make sure that you're the epicenter of that and that your seesaw, if you like, is working well? Because sometimes the balance has to go that way yeah. to allow it to go that way. But it's making sure the overall effect is what whatever you want it to be and not forgetting that that also works for the significant others in your world, too. 
<laughs> because you could be there going, I'm achieving balance in my heart's content. But your significant others, be that in work or privately, are like, we're not. <laughs> it's not working for us. <laughs> so again, I think there's a whole contracting piece around that and um, and knowing that it's not a solo job. And it's a job that requires communication and sometimes straight talk, right? Being very clear, very honest, calling it out as it is in order to find a solution, a way forward, whatever it is. And straight talk is actually the topic that originally brought me to you because I've, I heard about you. I heard you speak before and I thought, oh, my God, she has to come on to the show. Because one of my passion topics is how to be open, direct and get the message and the point across. And I saw feedback, a testimonial on your website that gave me goosebumps. And I think that describes you in the best oh. possible way <laughs> um, by one of the global people directors that you worked with. Sally is a master facilitator and presenter and is able to mentor C-suite level execs with cut through um, and an inquisitive, no incisive approach while also maintaining huge amounts of warmth and humor. And I think there couldn't be a better compliment in the combination of that yin and yang that you read in that testimonial. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, that my clients mean a lot to me and getting their feedback around the impact and very purpose driven as a human means the world. But it comes back, I think, to that ability to guide, navigate, but have fun at the same time and keep it human. I think that's imperative. And keep it human to me means you are being honest. You say it as it is, you know, with the positive and the slightly more constructive messages. And that's something I'm observing in this ever kind of changing, complicated world that we are hiding, hiding and covering messages. And the feedback I kept receiving in the world of work um, years and years ago was you are too direct. You can't say it like that in the British culture in particular. Um, <laughs> what, what some of my bosses said. Um, and so on and so forth. And nowadays, I really live into this directness, combining mm -hmm. it with empathy and support and a lot of care. But what you see is what you get. And I'm really proud of it. You should and be, yet, Kathleen. Yet I still hear and feel the judgment from some people, not all, obviously. So how do you embrace straight talk? It's just who I am. <laughs> you know, it's just how I was born, how I was raised. I could be a cliche and say well, I'm a northerner. It's how northerners are. But it is just in my DNA. And I think I I go at a credible pace when I'm reading a situation. And I have got I'm lucky I've got a skill set that allows me to distill that quickly into what I'm finding is going on and presenting that for others to agree or disagree with. And the thing that I always trust in myself is that everything I do, like everything, comes from a place of wanting to help, to serve, to make a difference, to support. Now, I have to also check in on that sometimes because ego gets in the way. And, you know, do you want to be a hero here? Is that really in the service of others? Or is that your own piece showing up here? Which, you know, I'd like to think isn't, but I'm, I'm only human too. And so we've got that subconscious piece going on. But everything I genuinely do is because... I want it to make a positive impact in the world and to serve and to help. So I always think, even if you make mistakes, and I certainly do that in my life, <laughs> certainly work in progress, hopefully people will give that forgiveness piece because they know it was from a place of wanting to make a difference and help, simple as. And that, I think, helps with the permission of straight talking. 
But I did learn something way back in my early career, which I've always kept. It's a little little free tip <laughs> remembering the situation. When I was a backpacker back in 98, so just a wee while ago, I was working in recruitment in Sydney. I'd fallen into this job and was doing mass recruitment for a big bank over there. So getting through a lot of people for the call center. And there was one candidate who I made a fundamental error with, which I've never made again, but this was back in 98. And I started to give them feedback, some of it quite personal, actually, around their look, because the bank was quite corporate and this person looked quite creative. And I, But I offered it merely as a suggestion. And this person literally kicked off, literally. And I thought, oh, my God, they're going to hit me. They're going And I was in this little glass office where people walking past. I'm thinking, can someone see that this is going a bit weird? And this person was like raving and ranting, was completely dis- disproportional. In my opinion, in theirs perhaps not, but in my opinion, their reaction was completely disproportional to the help I'd wanted to offer them, purely as a suggestion, not as a statement. And they said I was challenging their very identity, that I was showing, you know, terrible biases and and just just and it wasn't well, maybe some of it was the case because a bias is always a bias, but I was coming at it from a genuine want to support. And it was like almost like a throwaway comment at the end, like, oh, by the way, you just might want to think about X and Y. Mm-hmm. And the biggest mistake I made, which I never made ever since, is I didn't stop. So the ego probably got a little bit carried away, you know, wanting to help and have a bit of a hero complex. Um, I didn't stop to ask a fundamental question, which would have changed the entire narrative of that of that really difficult interaction I had, which I still remember. I didn't say... I have some feedback. Would you like to hear it? Didn't invite them to want to hear it. I imposed it whether they wanted to hear it or not. And it taught me a very valuable lesson about, you know, someone has to be wanting to hear your feedback, especially when it's direct and straight talking as mine was and always is. So ever since then, I'd like to think 100% of the time, but maybe at least 99.9% of the time, I have always asked the question, would you like to hear my feedback? So that the person will say normally yes. I've never had anyone go no, I don't <laughs> want to hear it. But then if they don't like it or they kick off at me or it triggers an emotional response that they're perhaps not even expecting themselves, I have that get out of jail card to say, I asked if you wanted to hear it. Yeah. So that was a, a less than hard one, because don't get me wrong, when that person kicked off, it was really scary. And I genuinely thought they were going to attack me because I do think they were slightly unba- imbalanced. But it taught me that lesson of greater humility, greater patience when it comes to giving direct feedback and always having the other person's needs ahead of yours as to what's making you give the feedback and la- allowing them to remain uh, to, re- to retain sorry, an element of control so that when you're giving that feedback, they feel ready for it and equipped rather than react and they're taken unawares. So I think that makes a big difference. Permission, permission to speak and someone going, yeah, remember I did the five word reveal. Which would you like? Which would you choose? That person's choosing to then open themselves up to receive what can be quite strong feedback. It helps them to process it and to receive it much better just by simply the courtesy of saying, would you like to hear it? And I, I love that you bring in that perspective because there's a lot of brain research out there that says as soon as you hear, would you like some feedback, our brain goes into fight or flight mode. Yeah, well, it's either like, like good or bad, isn't it, normally? Oh my God, what's coming? <laughs> Panic, right? 
but you are positioning it from a perspective of actually let's get ready for it. Mm. Let's be receptive to hearing it and fully attentive. Yeah. And it also helps me to keep that strong, straight talking um, theme because I've asked if they want that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it helps keep our roles cleaner. Um, but it also, I just think it's it's just a nice way to treat people at the end of the day. And I just made a, a sloppy error by not appreciating that enough. I was a lot younger back then. I mean, let's be honest, it was 98 as well. So I was very much at the beginning of my journey. But it's something that it taught me a very valuable lesson just around basic manners also. I think we forget that sometimes, basic manners. <laughs> and, and setting up the other person, as you just said, to be ready to receive. Lovely top tip. Now, that's my last question. I No, second last question, I promise. But straight talking isn't just feedback right? It is also stepping into a debate, being able to sharing your honest opinion, right, on a subject matter, for example, that sometimes other people might not agree with. Mm. But yet doing that, and I believe it's absolutely vital to have that skill in leadership without being a dick, as I always say, right? <laughs> yeah, that it's also about helps. how you say it. <laughs> that will help. Exactly. <laughs> so, so when you just consider the relationship you build with your clients, you as a straight-talking Yorkshire woman, right, with the whole range of clients you work with from all sorts of backgrounds, mm. how does the straight talk help the relationship? I think it underlines that I am utterly in service of them, even when it's uncomfortable for me, because the relationship is not about me. It's about them yeah. and, and how I can help them as my client. And sometimes I work a lot with high EQ and intuition I'm very practical and structured, but I've got a whole other very intuitive EQ-led side of me. And sometimes when I'm working with clients, I'll just intuitively get something that I really want to share or advise them on. And sometimes it's like, oh, that's a bit on the line. <laughs> like, But I say to them, oh, just got something that I really do want to share with you. And, you know, it might not be easy for you to hear. And actually, it's not easy for me to say, but it's something I really think is going to serve you and, and support you in your growth or whatever it might be. And I have to take a gulp sometimes and, and, and say it because if I think, oh, I'm not going to be that honest or direct with them because it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable or they might not like it. You know, I'm not there to be their friend. Yeah, they're not paying me to give them platitudes and go, oh, you're lovely and wonderful. And they're there. I'm there to help them and push them and drive them and support them and have that full range accessible to them. So it's not about always challenging, always giving hard feedback because that's that's not effective. Sometimes it's purely about listening, receiving, holding space and caring. But again, that's not always appropriate. So I think the straight talking, it just helps my clients know that everything and anything I do for them is wholly at all times in service of their needs and why they've brought me into their world. Thank you so, so much, Sally. Um, couldn't finish this episode on a wiser end. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I. Pleasure. I encourage everybody out there to become more of a straight talker with a ton of care and in service of others. And Sally, here is indeed the last question for you. Where can people get in touch with you and find out more about you? Oh, that's kind to ask. So I have my website, sallyhenderson.co.uk. And there's lots of ways you can get in touch with me there. You can also access my learning hub, which is a free resource that I want to make available to everybody to just support uh, as many as I can in the world. There's my newsletter, which you can sign up to mentor in your pocket through my um, website. And then also LinkedIn, Sally K. Henderson. 
Wonderful. Well, I would highly recommend get in touch and learn <laughs> more from and with Sally. Sally, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here on the show. So many wonderful nuggets that you shared with us. I'm wishing you so much success with everything you're starting, you're continuing to do. Thank you for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure to be your guest. And for all of you out there, let us know how you felt about this episode. Um, what are your key takeaways and what you want to hear about more? Take good care, everybody. Speak to you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Perhaps you have some ideas for additional topics, something that you're truly curious about. Please do leave your review on Apple Podcasts as well. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Take good care. Bye.